If you have a Bible with you, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, um, we are going to be looking at verses 12 and then into chapter 11, verse 1. Um, so today's going to be a little different. Uh, I'll explain later on about the budget presentation at the end of the service. We're going to um, get to that later. So this is going to be a two-part sermon through this same passage. So this is part one today. <clears throat> um, basically, I'm going to try really hard to preach a shorter sermon. Do y'all think I can do that? I don't know. We'll see. Um, so <laughs> what does God ask of you is the title today, part one, and we'll do part two next week. But before we dig into that, uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll continue on. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you that... Um, just watching this inspiring story, uh, Lord, of this physician who gave it, really just gave it up and gave up everything here in America to give his life fully to you in that way, in that service. Lord, we could not have had a better introduction to this sermon today. Lord, help us to see uh, exactly why that's the case and help us to see why you are so great and why you are worth giving everything up for. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so I just want you to imagine that you are at a wedding ceremony, all right, and you've been invited to this wedding, you know the bride and the groom, and so the bride and the groom, they get up there before the minister, and, and they're standing up on the stage, and it comes to that moment of the service where they say their vows to one another, right? So if you're married, you know what I'm talking about, you've been there before, but all of a sudden, they each take out an index card or two. And they start listing off a list of the bare minimum requirements that they are willing to give and do for their spouse. Now, perhaps let's just, let's just imagine that they, they take out these index cards and they begin reading to one another. And so the husband says, I'm only going to cut the grass once a month. That's it. No more than that, honey. I love you. I'm so glad I'm marrying you today. Only one, only one date night a month. No more than that, all right? I will go to Disney World with you one time. One time. You pick the year, you pick the month, but I will never go more than once to Disney World with you, right? Or I'm only buying a Christmas gift, Christmas gift for you as long as it's under $50, right? I mean, some of you are like, did you talk to my husband before the service? Like, what? Where did you get this intel? Um, so wouldn't that be crazy, right? I mean, that would be just a complete sham. And so everybody else, right, in the congregation would look up there and think, yeah, this, is, this ain't going to last, right? This is not going to work, right? These people do not get it. They don't understand. Now, of course, that sounds a little crazy, right? Nobody does that at a wedding ceremony because when you're up there in front of everyone in a nervous wreck, you're, you're reciting all of these vows and you're pledging yourself fully to your spouse, right? I mean, that's what you're intending. You're intending to give yourself fully, all of who you are to your spouse until the day you die. But the years pass by. Do we do that very well? Do we struggle with this? Do we struggle to give them all of who we are? You know, I think the areas where we do hold back, the selfish areas of our lives, are the points of tension in our marriages. Now, I want you to take that illustration and let's translate that into your relationship with God. A lot of similarities. If you're not giving yourself fully to the Lord, if you belong to, to God because you have turned from your sin and you've trusted Jesus Christ and Him alone, 
and the work he did for you on the cross and through his resurrection and his perfect life. If you trust him to be your savior, he is your savior. You have been saved by a holy God that we just sung about. He looks on you now with favor, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done and your faith in Jesus. That's what salvation is. So let's say that's happened to you. All right. So you are now united with Christ. You are now in a relationship with God. But occasionally, do you whip out that list of the bare minimum requirements that you're willing to give him? Occasionally, perhaps in your life, do you look at these areas of your life and say, eh, you know, God, I think I'm just going to kind of, I'll manage this part and I'll give you the other parts. Or I'll do, I'll do this, even though I know I probably shouldn't, or I won't do this, even though I know I probably should. And Lord, you can kind of figure out the rest, but I'll call the shots in this part and this part and this part. And so what we tend to do is we tend to do the bare minimum requirements that we think God would be okay with. Sin, ironically, lies to us and says that doing this will bring us joy and happiness if we are a little selfish and do things the way we want. But what are the expectations? In other words, what what does God ask of you? What does he ask of us when we do enter into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Author, Christian author Matt Fuller, he poses this question. He says, you could ask that question, what does God ask of us? You could ask that, he says, in in a crass, calculating way. Okay, I'm a Christian now, so what's the, what's the minimum required time and money and effort required by God? So we could, we could approach that cynically in our lives, but let, let's, I'm going to you know, kind of be optimistic today and say that a lot of us, I think a lot of us genuinely do want to know the answer to that question. What does God ask of us? In other words, how much of our lives do we really give to him? Or you could phrase it this way. He says, what do you want me to do for you, Lord? What exactly is it that you want me to do for you? Now, we just watched in this video, right? We just watched this missionary who truly, truly gave it all. This physician, right, who gave up a nice, comfortable lifestyle in America. He gave it up all to go to Tanzania and serve. He gave it all, he and his wife. And this is the point, this is the point that Moses is making in Deuteronomy 10, Now, like I said, this is going to be a two-part sermon, so we're not going to get to all of it today, but this is the point that Moses is making. He's, He's even asking this very question, what do you require? What does the Lord require of us? How much should we give to him? Deuteronomy 10, here we go, verse 12. I'm actually going to read the whole passage in, in, in its entirety, so we'll go through chapter 11, verse 1, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. All right, verse 12. Moses picks up in his sermon to the Israelites before they enter into Canaan, the promised land. So this is at the end of the 40 years they've been wandering around the wilderness, and here's what he says. He says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord, your God, require of you? Now he answers it quickly. Here's the answer. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in, his, in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it, 
Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. That's a great, that is a great section of scripture. It really is. The main point that Moses is making here, nestled in the middle of the book of Deuteronomy, the main point out of this part of his sermon to the Israelites is this, We must give ourselves fully to the Lord. We must give ourselves fully, fully to the Lord with no restraint. Giving all that we are, all of our heart, all of our soul, Moses says, give yourself fully to the Lord without a list of minimum requirements, without a list of restrictions, without holding anything back. We must give ourselves fully to the Lord. Now, Let's clarify. Look at this. Look what he says in verse 12 and 13. Okay, let's read it again. He says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? That's the question. What does God really ask of his people? Well, and again, he answers it immediately, right? To fear the Lord, right? To walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him, to keep his commandments, his rules. So the NIV translation says it this way. What does the Lord your God ask of you? In other words, as his people, what are the expectations God has of us? If we really belong to him, if we are set apart from the rest of this world, right, and we are called to be his representatives, to actually represent him in this world, if those things are true, how then should we live? How then must we live? The answer, we fear him, we obey him, we love him, we serve him, we keep his commandments. Now, that answer, and we're going to get into those parts of this next week a little in much more detail, but, but notice that Moses' answer here is holistic. All right? So in other words, fearing the Lord, obeying him, loving him, serving him, keeping his commandments, these, these imperatives, these, these encompass every aspect of who you are, right? In every aspect of your daily part of your life. In other words, we must give ourselves fully. That's what Moses is saying. That's the thrust of it. We must give ourselves fully to the Lord. But why? Like, Why should we give ourselves fully to God? That might sound like an elementary question, but 
we struggle with this, and so let, let's talk about it, right? Well, why should we give ourselves fully to the Lord? Because he's worth living for. He is worth living for. Now, this brings up a good question. What are some things in this world that many people think are really worth living for? In other words, what do people give themselves fully to? You see, I believe that many of us, we give ourselves fully to all kinds of things, right? We give ourselves fully to our jobs, some of us, right? Some of us give ourselves fully to a romantic relationship. Many people just live for the moment, and so they give themselves fully for every little thrill that's coming up next, the next thrill, the next event, the next big thing, the next thrill, the next shiny object, right? Many people live for the approval and the admiration of others. Many people live to be loved, and so they will do all kinds of things and compromise their faith just to help others love them or think that they're lovable. See, we give ourselves fully to things all the time. We think these things will satisfy our deepest longings. And we, we put God somewhere lower on a priority list in life. He's on the list, but he's not necessarily up on the top of the list. And so we think, we think these things that we give ourselves to will bring ultimate good will bring us ultimate good somehow in our lives. But look what Moses says in verse 13. He says that these things, fearing the Lord, obeying the Lord, loving the Lord, serving the Lord, keeping his rules and his commandments, all of that holistic, fully giving yourself to the Lord, you know what that is? That's good for you. Look at the last three words of verse 13. It's for your good. So what is ultimately good for us what brings us true satisfaction and joy is not and cannot be devotion to the things of this world. It must be full surrender to God alone. Moses makes that clear. So for the rest of today, I want to show you really just two big reasons why Moses says this is true. Two big reasons why this is true. And then listen closely. Next week, we're going to talk about how. All right, so we're going to answer why today, why this must be true, and then next Sunday morning, we're going to talk about how this is true or how this should be true in your practical daily lives, all right? So why should we give ourselves fully to the Lord? Well, number one, we see here very clearly the reason, the first reason is because he is your creator and authority. He is our creator. He made us. He is therefore our authority, right? So look at verse 14. Moses says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens. In other words, all of space, the whole universe, right? And the earth, the earth with all that is in, in it, right? With all that is in it. So Moses is saying everything belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to God because he made it all. He created all things. Therefore, he owns the rights to all things. So whatever we see in the natural order, in the, creation, in the created order of this universe, God is the one who established the rules and the boundaries and the time and everything, right? It's his. If you create something, if you invent something, you are the owner. You own the patent to it. You get to decide its proper function and use for whatever task it accomplishes in life. And so all the good things we see around us that our God has given us in the created order are from him flowing out of his own character of goodness in his own heart. It is a display of his goodness and it is purposed for a reason. 
It is built and made and used with intentionality. Everything. So living for the Lord, get this, if that is true, if that much is true, then living for the Lord with your entire life is the best way for you to live. Because you're living in the rhythm that God created. As soon as we start to step apart and step aside and say, well, I think I'm actually going to hold on to this and I'm going to do this a little differently or I'm going to abuse this good thing that God's given me or I'm going to take advantage of this or manipulate this situation. As soon as we look at what we're doing, we're just getting further and further away from the natural rhythm that God created the world to operate in. And so you're going to feel out a rhythm. You're just, you just are. That's what sin does. Sin makes us out of step with the Holy Spirit, out of step with God's good function and purpose for this world. Because everything belongs to him. He created it. He designed it. He created things to function a certain way. So it's logical. It is absolutely logical and in our best interest to live according to how he has designed the world to work. Now we, we, we buck up at this though. Right? We, we don't believe that deep in our hearts in a lot, of our, a lot of our times. You see this at a young age, right? A young child, a young child, for example, you know, may begin to question if living according to mom and dad's rules are in his or her best interest, right? So from a young age, you know, you see little kids not understanding why they have to buckle up in the car, Right? I mean, we used to, one of our kids, we used to, you know, put them in the, in the car seat. They were really little, and they would just, I mean, you would think that we were killing them, right? It was just like, ah! Like, we can't, I don't want to run, I don't want to be buckled at all. Ah! They, they couldn't even speak at the time. It was just screaming and crying, but I could hear it through the cries. Like, it was just, that's what they were saying, right? They don't understand when they're little why we have to buckle up in the car. It seems restrictive. They don't understand when they're little why we can't eat candy right before bedtime, right? They don't understand why, why their parents take their favorite candy out of their uh, trick-or-treat baskets. You know, why do, why do parents do that, right? Um, I've never done that, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe they don't understand fully, right? Fully, hey, why do we wake up, mom and dad, why do we wake up every Sunday morning early and go to church? Like, maybe they don't understand that. But as a parent, as a parent, even though to the child all of those rules and things may seem restrictive, as a parent, you know what's in their best interest, even if they don't agree, because you love them. Because you love them. You're the authority that God has placed over their lives, and you love them unconditionally. And ultimately, you want them to thrive. And so you have to teach them. You have to use those moments of resistance as opportunities to teach them and show them and model for them what living in mom and dad's good rules and boundaries, how that will actually keep them safe, how it will protect them. They don't need all those Reese's anyways in their candy, all right? So the rules, the rules and the boundaries and the discipline, as well as the mercy and the grace and the blessings. It's all good for the child. It's the best possible way for them to live, even though they may not understand it. You know what? That is exactly, exactly the same way that we relate to God our Father. Anytime we think that his, his commands and his boundaries are 
too restrictive. Maybe we scream internally a little bit, pitch a little bit of a fit emotionally. Anytime we think that God's rules and his boundaries are too restrictive, anytime we think that we are smarter than God and that's why we disobey, all disobedience to the Lord, all sin in our lives is essentially saying, I'm probably a little smarter than God right now. That's what it is. Because if we were humble, we would understand that he, living according to his rules and being obedient to him, that he is holy and perfect and good, our creator, our authority. Why would we not live and step in rhythm with the way he functioned things to be? Often we're no different than a rebellious child failing to acknowledge what is actually good for us, who our authority is for a reason. Another way to say it is we must remember that God is God and we are not. So it doesn't make I'm saying, so doesn't it, doesn't it make logical sense, right, to give yourself fully to your creator who has authority over your life? He is trustworthy. That's the beautiful thing about this. God is trustworthy, so we can. We can do this fully and freely, knowing that he has our best interest in mind. He made the earth and everything in it, Moses says. So you can, you can give every area of your life in full obedience to him knowing that he will use it for his glory and your good. You don't have to hold anything back from a good, loving father who has your best interest in mind. That brings us to our last point today. Not only is God above us as our creator and authority, but get this, he is for us and with us. It would be one thing if God was only above us, you know? Like, an, like a tyrant, like a powerful king who has no relation to his subjects, to his servants, that'd be one thing. But that's only part of it. Yes, God is above us, but he's no tyrant. No, he is for us. He is with us. Look at what Moses says in verse 15. He says, yet, in other words, this is right after verse 14, your God is the God of the universe. He made the earth and everything in it and every single thing belongs to him. Yet, yet the Lord set his heart in love on you. That's what Moses is saying. As great and big and holy as our God is, how astonishing is it that he has set his heart on you? Now, how how encouraging And exhilarating should that truth have been to the Israelites at the time. That the Lord has set his heart on his people in love. God is for his people. So, you know, if the Israelites were ever doubtful, if they ever had that question, that moment where they were just not sure, or if they ever started asking the question, what's the least What's the least we can do and still get by in our relationship with God? What's the least we can give? What's the least we can serve? What's the least we can love? What's the least we can do and still get by? If they were ever asking that question, they were completely misunderstanding their relationship with God in the first place. God God did not love ancient Israel because he decided to love them because they were so great, right? 
And Moses reminds them of this. I think this is worth pointing out in the, in the preceding chapter. Look at this on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 6. Moses says, know therefore that the Lord your God, I mean, he just tells them straight up. It's like, listen, y'all, the Lord is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are stubborn, <laughs> right? I mean, he just tells them, like, here's the deal. Y'all ain't getting this land because of something good y'all done. Y'all are stubborn people. Yet, yet, the Lord has set his heart and love on you. No, God didn't, God, God decided to choose, God did not choose them because of something they did. No, God decided to choose them and love them out of his own compassion and grace. That's who he is. You know what? The same thing is true for us today as followers of Jesus Christ. God the Father did not send his son, Jesus, to die for us because he knew they, they're just so lovable, <laughs> right? Look at them. Look at, look at all those people at Kernan Boulevard and Jacksonville. Aren't they just cute and lovable? Like, I'm just, Jesus, go die for them. Like, that's not it. That's not it at all, right? He sent Jesus to die for us for exactly the opposite reason. We are not lovable. We're not great. We're just rebellious children. You could say we're stubborn. That's what Moses is saying here, right? In these last few verses, look what God has done for you out of his, out of his abundant grace and his mercy and his compassion that flows out of his own heart. He has come to live among you. He has come to live among you. He has made it abundantly evident that he is for you, that he is with you. But Israel at the time, they did not know they did not know when Moses was writing this to them, when Moses was preaching that sermon, they did not know what we know now. That that truth, that God has come to live among us, that God is for us, that he is with us, boy, how much more true is that today? And that brings us full circle Hebrews chapter 1, Ben read this earlier in worship for us. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, look at this on the screen. Long ago, the author of Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power he is so high above us yet after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he, was, he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You see, like a rebellious, stubborn child, we have all failed to give ourselves fully to the Lord. You may not believe that about yourself today, but just look at your life. Look at your schedule. Look at your priorities. Look at what you're spending money on. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. Are we really giving ourselves fully to the Lord? See, the Bible's very clear and our own lives prove it. We have sinned against him 
and deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's judgment. We do not deserve His grace. We do not deserve His mercy. We have rebelled against the Creator, against the authority of our lives. We have rebelled against Him clearly to His face, said no. So God, in His grace and in His mercy, does the most amazing thing you could ever imagine. He must satisfy His wrath And he came up with a plan for his wrath to be satisfied, yet us escape free. The God who created all things and who rules above us came to earth as one of us. As one of us. He didn't have to do that, right? He came to earth as one of us, as fully God and fully human, to give himself fully to us and for us. Like, do you see the complete swip-swap? We will not, we refuse to give ourselves fully to our creator, and what does he do? He comes down here and gives himself fully to us. There is no greater picture of sacrificial love than that. No body, no thing, nothing in this world will ever love you like that. Everything in this world that we reach out for and try to take hold of, thinking it will make us happy, it will not love you like that. A person that you love now, and it could be in a good, you could be in a good relationship. You could be married to, the, to a wonderful spouse. Listen, they will not love you like that. Nobody in this world is going to love you like that. Nobody in this world is willing to do this. Jesus did what no one else can do. He gave himself fully to us by paying for our sin in full. The wrath of God was poured out on him instead of you. But do you see it? Jesus didn't hold anything back from you. And that's what we have to get. Jesus did not hold anything back from you today. He didn't ask the question, what's the minimum requirement that I should love them? What's the least I can do to let them know that they're loved? That's not the question Jesus asked. He gave all of himself, all of himself for you so he could be with you forever. The only proper response to that, I mean, just think about it. If you really grasp how much you are loved, right, the only proper response to being loved so overwhelmingly, to being being accepted by the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the only proper response is to give ourselves fully to him. Why would we not? Why would we not? Like I said, next week we're going to look a lot more at the practical aspect of this and the rest of the passage and see how we can do this. What does it look like to really give yourself fully to the Lord in your schedule, your priority list, your money, everything that we, everything. How do we really give ourselves fully to the Lord? But for today, if you have trusted in Christ and his full payment for your full sin, if you have turned to him in truth and full faith, my question for you It's kind of the same thing Moses was asking Israel. Are you still trying to hold something back? Like, what is it? And why? What are you holding back from the Lord? Is there a pattern of sin in your life that you have a tight 
grasp on and you refuse to really surrender that to the Lord, you refuse to confess it, you refuse to acknowledge it, you, ref you refuse to give it up and turn it away. Is there, is there an idol that's controlling your heart? Is there something in your life that you are just clinging so tightly to and you were, you're just refusing to really give it to the Lord? Why? What is it and why? That's really only between you and the Lord. I can't answer that for you. I don't know your heart. I don't know your motivation. But God knows. Could we spend some time in prayer today maybe and just say, Lord, I feel like you're talking to me right now, Lord, and I just, I know that I need to give this to you. I'm trying to control this situation. I'm trying to manipulate this person. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that, Lord, and I just, I have to surrender. I have to give myself fully to you. Would you forgive me? Lord, please forgive me for living so selfishly. Lord, you gave yourself fully to me. How could I not? How could I not give myself fully to you? That is true love.